Hello and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And folks, we got a show for you today. You are going to love this guest. Uh, I uh, first met him on uh, the Office Hours, the Soul of Business Office Hours show that I do every week with uh, my good friend, David Meltzer. And I was just fascinated, number one, by his story, but number two, and more importantly, about what he does and what he stands for. Um, and I couldn't wait to get him on, on the show, and he graciously agreed to come on. So um, without a whole lot of further ado, I want to just introduce um, Javon McCormick. And uh, just a real quick background. I'm not going to go into a big bio read here, but we'll, you know, who he is and uh, just in terms of CV will come out in the conversation. Um, but Javon, and you know, he makes a point of this um, because it's his part of his origin story. Um, he was the son of a black pimp father and a white orphan mother, which, you know, just kind of use your imagination that brings up a very interesting scenario. And with that beginning, he has gone on to uh, become the CEO of a multi-million dollar publishing company that was recently uh, ranked as the number one top company culture in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. And Scribe, is the name of the company, uh, Scribe Media, and as the CEO. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about what he does in that role, but he's also uh, done some fascinating things here in the stock market, even though he uh, didn't go to college <laughs> and um, as, as president of a software company that he started, even though he didn't know a lick of code uh, when he started it. You know, there's just some very interesting dynamics to play here about what it means to be an entrepreneur. So Javon, welcome to the show. Ah, uh, Blaine, how are you, sir? Doing well, buddy. Doing well. And um, just prior to the show, we were talking, you know, just kind of unexpected consequences and whatnot. And you, you live in Austin and it's snowing there. So <laughs> I know that this show will air after that, but uh, things are unexpected. And your life has been full of unexpected uh, turns and you have seemingly capitalized on every single one of them. So I'm going to just kind of open the floor here. Um, and I'm going to start with a question I ask of every guest. And uh, it usually opens uh, you know, interesting venues of conversation. When you hear the phrase, and this is the, 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 um, the title of the show, The Soul of Business. When you hear that phrase, The Soul of Business, what does that bring up for you? People. In my opinion, people, the, the soul of, of business. I operate, I don't make this hard. It's People first, you people process profits. If you have great people, you can build great process and you can make great profits. And as a bonus with those great profits, you can do great things for the communities that, that you serve and that you live in. So uh, people, uh, people first, do right by people. It's our number one value in the company is people and our principle is do right by people. So it's, it's people, people, people it is the soul of business. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say people process profit. Uh, oftentimes when people talk about the three Ps and this is part of the you know, conscious capitalism uh, uh, conversation, they'll take, you know, they'll talk about uh, people, purpose and profit. Yeah. Right. Where, where, you know, where and why and how have you come to substitute purpose for process? Uh, you, you, you have to have a process. process for purpose. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, the, the, the purpose, you know, is, is overarching the purpose of why we do what we do. We, we help authors 
uh, write, publish, and, and market their books. So we know our purpose, but in, in for the soul of business, you put people first, build great process, equal great, great profits. And, and I truly believe you can be profitable and do great things at the same time. We, we live in a, a society right now, and I can't figure this one out, where capitalism is demonized. And, and I was making the joke the other day with someone, I go, listen to this. Okay, so capitalism is demonized, but every nonprofit, where do they go for money? To the capitalist. <laughs> so, and yep. I go, and when government wants to tax more, where do they go? The successful capitalist. And I said, so, but it's demonized. And, and I, I don't understand that. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I know some businesses put profits first above everything else and it's it's profits above people but the the way i look at this is is very simple i don't i don't make it hard people process and profits uh-huh. you know i was uh interviewed uh for a magazine article that uh, was going to come out later uh in this first quarter and one of the questions and it was a question i'd never gotten before that i thought was fascinating they asked me what is the greatest fallacy? Because a large part of my work is consulting, uh, executive coaching, but I've been, you know, I've got a consulting firm and, you know, we started in eight, you know, 1987, ended up with offices in four countries. So, you know, we did some pretty, pretty good work, still do some pretty good work. And I was asked, you know, what is the greatest fallacy you, you have consistently heard in businesses? And it was, you know, I, I kind of stopped for a minute. I thought, you know, that is an interesting way, number one, to put the question, but number two, it was an interesting question. And, you know, and I will connect the dot here. Um, yeah, and what I came up with was keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, yeah focus on the goal. Don't lose fo- you know, focus on the goal. And where I kind of landed was, yeah, that conversation about keeping your focus on the goal excludes process which is how we get to the goal right. and the frustration that exists in most organization. Have you hit your numbers? You know, people, you know, there's, there's shaming, there's, you know, kind of pressure to, you know, get that target delivered ideally under budget and uh, um, uh, under, under time frame too, but the process gets ignored in terms of, you know, this, this thing that I call elegance and I'm, you know, you know elegance in the, in the, in a software coding perspective, yeah, is, is a code that doesn't have unintended consequences. Too often in my experience, people try to achieve goals with processes that are outmoded, outdated, and, and, and out of touch with what we're actually trying to do. So when you came to realize that process was important, was there anything that catalyzed that for you? you know, routine, it's interesting. I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, mine probably came from a, a place where most people don't. Uh, as a kid growing up in a very chaotic environment, there was no structure, there was no routine, there was no no discipline, it was just straight chaos 24-7. You know, I didn't always know where my next meal was going to come from, I didn't always know uh, if my dad was going to be around. So I, I grew up in chaos, and what I came to understand is that having structure and discipline, routine, consistency are, are all, in my opinion, uh, part of process. If you have all those things, that's where you can actually thrive and, and succeed. And what, what happens if you look at kids uh, from low economic communities who grow up in that dysfunction, 
versus kids who grow up in a very uh, rigid, uh, routine, disciplined, structured environment, those kids are generally more successful because they have those processes in place. So I learned that process was a big key from, from my childhood. Put yeah. people first, build great processes. And then, like, like I said, the, the profits will come. Yeah, they will. You know, that's, yeah, and I was hoping you would go there because your family of origin story is, uh, I think, fascinating. You know, just you know, almost, you know, clichéically in a Horatio Alger uh, uh, context. Um, can you talk a little bit about your migration? And I'm, and I'm interested here in how you kept connected to what I'm going to be calling the soul of, 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 of the individual, you know, that, that spark, that piece in me that keeps looking to express more of who I am. How did you keep yourself connected as you migrated, as you, as you morphed from that chaotic experience growing up? Uh, and some might call highly dysfunctional, uh, but there was a lot of functionality that you, you know, that you actually uh, were able to develop out of that. It's a, uh, I always believed I could, and, and, and I have come to realize this recently. I didn't always share my, my origin story, tell people where I came from, because obviously I was embarrassed or, you know, who wants to do business or hire the guy whose uh, father, father, 23 children was a pimp and drug dealer. And, and to this day, I still can't tell you where my last name comes from. So I always hid, duck, uh, duck and, and hide from, from my background. And it wasn't until recently I started sharing this story, but I was actually introduced to business at nine years old. And it was by way of my father. He had me one weekend and we were driving around collecting money from prostitutes because he was a pimp. And I was in the front seat. I'll never forget this. It was cold outside. And we pulled up to the first prostitute and she hands him a stack of money through the window. He cracked the window and it was cold outside. I can still smell the heater when I tell this story. And he, she hands him a stack of money. And she said, hey, I made, I, I made my count for the night. Can I come in? And my dad was real encouraging. Oh, you're on a roll. Get back out there. You're doing great. I'm proud of you, blah, blah, blah. So she went back out there. So we went to the next prostitute. She handed in her money and she was short. And my dad lost his mind, you know, get your ass back out there, started cussing, degrading her, everything you can possibly think of. And I remember when he rolled up the window, I thought to myself, huh, and I'm nine. I said, if I treated all the prostitutes better and I let them keep part of the money, could I make more money in volume because more prostitutes would want to work with me than the mean pimps? And that was my first thought into scale, you know, was, okay, how do you treat them better? Do you share part of the profits? And then I took it a step further. I even said to myself, okay, now competition, a lot of pimps are going to be mad because I'm going to start taking their women. <laughs> and so, but I, and a lot of people find that story maybe disgusting or whatever, but that's the, that's the environment I grew up in. I don't find it disgusting. That's what I grew up in. And that's where I learned my lessons. And that was my first lesson into business how do you scale how do you do it better and more importantly how do you put people first yeah i, I love I, I mean i love the story and the way that you re, uh, you know re, recast it and, and actually retell it here nothing has meaning until i assign meaning to it and even something as horrendous as that experience um, uh, can have some dramatic yeah 
benefit to it if you can find where the gold is, you know, so to speak, and then leverage that. And you went on um, you know, to start a couple of other businesses before Scribe. You know, the, um, you know, you're working in the stock market. You, you, know, you made you know, the proverbial million dollar yeah. uh, hit on that. Uh, even though you didn't go to college, how did, how did you get, you know, as a day trader, how did, how did you end up uh, working that? <laughs> All right. So, so Blaine, you're going to love this. So I was the mail boy at an insurance company and I, I had my cart and I'd walk around, I deliver the mail and I filed papers all day. And so I'm, again, I grew up poor, man, United States poor, because they're the poor in different countries is a whole different thing. But I grew up poor here in the United States on the welfare system. I know what it's like to eat your free lunch, your free welfare government lunch on Friday at school. And then you don't eat again until Monday when you get that free lunch at school again. So grew up poor. My, my job that I had at the insurance company, I, I was maybe 19 years old. And I'm pushing the mail cart and I'm going down the hall. And this sign says, free lunch and learn 401k. All I saw was free lunch. And I'm like, okay, I am there. And so what was funny is I keep pushing my cart and I asked someone that's passing by, I said, hey, where's conference room 401k? Because <laughs> I didn't know that 401k was a thing. And so they said, oh no, that's 401k meaning uh, where you save your money and, and invest and blah, blah, blah. So I went to the lunch and learn. And Blaine, I heard two of the greatest words in the history of mankind, compound interest. And it was the first time I was introduced to, wow, okay, if you've got $10, you can turn it into 50, you can turn it into 100, and you can keep investing. And what was mind-blowing to me is, as I got a little bit older, I realized, oh my God, all of this information is free, like quarterly reports, annual reports, what balance sheets, all of this is free. You can just study this, learn about these companies, what their plans are, what they're going to do, why they didn't hit their numbers. And I, I fell in love with it and have never looked back. Still to, today, I do a lot of uh, stock investing. I, I love it. I'll, I'll never stop doing it. It's, it's the... Hell, given my background, where I come from, I make the joke that, okay, somebody's got to be coming to pick up this money and tell me there's, there, there was a joke on me that this isn't real. <laughs> uh, you know, what I love about it, there's two things that kind of stand out here. And you know, metaphorically, you know, I mean, you succeeded because you, quote, unquote, followed your hunger. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very literally as well as as uh, metaphorically. But the second thing here that strikes me, and this was, this is really what stood out for me when we first got connected on the uh, Office Hours uh, show was your 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 curious, you know, your insatiable curiosity. How did the dots connect here? I mean, going back to that nine year old boy sitting in that front seat with your dad, how, yeah, you started connecting dots, and yeah, and you started asking yourself questions. It's kind of like, huh. Yeah, and questions open up new worlds. That's yeah. what I love yeah. about questions. They open up new worlds. And I want to explore the new worlds when we come back from this break, because you know, you've done some stuff with Scribe that I think is just fascinating. And I want you to have an opportunity to really kind of fill in the blanks here, as well as you know, you're on the board of the Conscious Capitalism Organization. And I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Excellent. So, folks, we, we will be right back. I want to thank you for listening. 
Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the Leadership Mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. You're listening to uh, The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. My guest today, uh, Javon McCormick. And before we took a break here, I was you know, talking to him about curiosity, or at least that's what I had positioned and said when we come back, I wanted to explore a little bit about his work uh, with his uh, organization, Scribe uh, Media, uh, which is, is, I mean, it's hugely successful. And as the founder and CEO, what was your intent, uh, Javon, in, in setting this up? Because you, know, you had, you know, as you joke about in your uh, biography, um, you don't know how to spell. So why would I, why would I find myself starting a publishing company? What, what was going through your mind here? So, so I got I got to be fair to that. I am actually not the founder. I'm, I'm the president, the CEO, and and now I'm the largest equity holder of the of the company. But the two co-founders are uh, Zach and Tucker Max. And the way this came about, how I even got to the company was when I was the president of a software company, and and I did not start the software company either. I actually started. I'll back up a little bit. I started the software company as the lowest paid person in the company. My, my role was to sell. So I sat in the storage closet on a fold-out metal chair and I made my calls. And within two years, uh, there were 13 of us. And within two years, I went from the lowest paid person in the company to the president of the company. And over a five-year time span that I was there, we grew the company from that storage closet to offices in Austin, Houston, Dallas, and Monterey, Mexico. And, but, but, and, and I, obviously I joke, I don't write code. Well, while, while I was there towards the latter part of, of being the president, I wanted to, to write my book for my kids. I, I realized, wow, if something happens to me, my children would not know where I come from. They would not know that I do not know where my last name comes from. So I, I got introduced to, to Zach and Tucker, the two co-founders uh, of Scribe. And Tucker comes over to the software uh, office where, where I was working. We wrap up and he said, hey, will you give me feedback on uh, our company as you go through the process? And I said, yeah, why not? And, and I get my first interaction with him. They were, they were a 13-month-old company. I had my first interaction with the company. I called him up. I said, hey, do you still want this feedback? And he said, yes. I said, okay. I swing hard. And he goes, go for it. I go, this is good. This is good. Keep doing this. 
this sucks. What were you thinking? Don't ever do this again. And he goes, you got all that from an email. I said, yes. And he, he said, would you sit on our advisory board? One thing led to another. I get invited to have coffee with Zach and Tucker at Starbucks one day. And they said, hey, if we give you a ton of equity, would you come be the CEO of the company? And it was in that moment I said to myself, wow, I've been the president of a software company and I can't write code. And now I can be the CEO of a publishing company and I can't spell. God bless America. And so here we are uh, five years later, we've worked with 1800 authors, uh, some you know names you probably know, the former CEO of uh, Chipotle, David Goggins. David Goggins, yeah. Yeah, Nobel Peace Prize Committee, Tiffany Haddish, the, the actress. So yeah, we, we've, uh, we've done a few things over the last five years. That is, you know, just... And again, you kind of go back to people, process, and profit. I mean, the number one top company culture in America, that, I mean, that, that puts you in some pretty classy uh, and rarefied uh, company. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. And, and it's a big deal for a whole lot of reasons. Number one, the recognition. But number two, I mean, you know, the old uh, phrase, you know, culture will eat strategy for breakfast. And if you're not yeah. attending to your culture, you're going to be dead in the water in some way, shape, or form. So... How much time do you focus on, on the culture? You know, is it consistent? Is it top of mind? Is it just an afterthought or is it just kind no, of baked into the uh, all, process? Always, always top of mind. In, in fact, I, there is no person that's ever been hired into the company unless I have interviewed them. And I've had so many people tell me, well, that's not scalable. That's not scalable. And it's, it's interesting because I feel that in, in my role or the role of the CEO, if you don't take the time to interview people, spend time with people, then what the hell are you in the role for? I mean, yeah, I make some decisions and I, I know our numbers, our financials inside and out, but you, you've got to put the people first. And, and, and I always say this, I'm only as good as the great people I'm surrounded by. So, so that, that's it. You know, they're, they're great and, and I'm good. When they go to exceptional, I get to go to great, but they're always ahead of me. So put people first. No one works for me. Everyone works with me. And, and so it's just the way our culture is set up is truly about people. If you're in leadership in this company, you do not have direct reports. You have direct supports because if you're in leadership, your only role is to support the people you serve. That's it. And so there's no, no, I, I don't do the hierarchical, hierarchical thing, what, what, however you say that word. Uh, yeah, that word too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, we'll, we'll spell it together. <laughs> yeah, if, if, but if you, here's, here's a great example of this. And, and it's not just for show. If you go to our website and you go to the About Us page, most companies, the first thing you see, founders, C-suite executives, chairmen, CEOs, blah, blah, blah. If you go to ours, and you're looking for me, I'm at the bottom of the page. And that's very intentional because if, as, as the CEO, my role is to serve and support. So I should be at the bottom as the foundational piece of the service to all of those individuals you see long before you make it down to me. So they, they do the work and I'm here to serve them. And, and that's scribesmedia.com. Is that correct? Scribemedia.com. Yes, sir. Scribemedia.com. Now, Scribe Media is a consciously capitalistic company, and you are on the board of directors of, of, of Conscious Capitalism. 
Correct. Uh, how did you get involved with you know, conscious capitalism to begin with? Because you know, I, I mean, I know uh, John Mackey, I know Raj, we're good friends, Kip Dendel. I've been out to his place a number of times. How did you get involved with uh, conscious capitalism and what's yeah, what difference has that made in terms of how you actually are operating Scribe Media? So I got involved, I got invited to to one of their CEO summits and I went, it was great. I enjoyed it, thought it was, oh, this is, this is good stuff. Home, yeah, yeah, they have it each year here at, uh, right outside of Austin. So I went, okay, yeah, I'll go. And then they had their national event in Dallas. So I said, okay, I'll go to that. And then I got invited back to the uh, second CEO summit. And I left after the, the first day, after a half day. And a couple of months later, uh, just, just as a check-in call, the CEO, Alexander, calls me up and he says, hey, just want to know, you know your thoughts on the summit. You know, but, and I said, hey, I don't know that you really want my thoughts. And he said, why? I said, I'll give them to you. But, and, I, and I told him, I said, um, I found this summit to be, excuse my language, if I said, I said, I found it to be bullshit. And I said, you've got people on stage speaking about how they filed bankruptcy twice. And now they have a $500 million company. I go, that's great. I love a come up story and someone who, who's made it and, and so on. And so I go, but what the hell does that have to do with conscious capitalism? Mm -hmm. and, and then he asked me, he goes, well, how do you define conscious capitalism? I said, for me, Conscious capitalism is giving back to the lower economic communities that are not aware of the power of capitalism. The, where, where I grew up in those communities, the only avenues out for me were rapper, athlete, and drug dealer. And I sucked at all three, so chances weren't lo looking good. No one told me the power of capitalism. No one told me I could be an entrepreneur. No one told me I could be a pharmaceutical rep, an executive. And, and it's sad, and I said this on stage, they uh, invited me back and I got to, to talk on, on stage. And I said, how can I be a barista when there's no Starbucks in my community and I don't even know what a barista is? How can I know what organic food is when there's no whole foods in my community? And so that's the power of capitalism to me in conscious capitalism. Obviously it takes the shape of many different ways for, for different people. But in my opinion, we truly could change the landscape of this country if the lower economic communities understood the power of capitalism. I, uh, I love, I mean, you're talking to the choir here uh, to me. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, Compassionate Capitalism. Actually, you know, David and I uh, together conspired on that. Um, because to that point, there was something missing in just the uh, the conversation that I was experiencing, and you know I love the movement. You know, I, I absolutely love the the context and the concept and the intent of conscious capitalism. And what was you know, missing for me was a behavioral analog, a, a, a way to define what kind of behavior moves it out. Right. You know, that takes. How do you how do you be compassionately capitalistic? How do you be consciously capitalistic? if you don't have an awareness of, of uh, some of the implications of that, starting with what is capitalism? Right. And in, uh, in, in the book, I, you know, I mean, the, the first third of the book is a history of capitalism. You know, where did it come from? What's it intended to do? What's it rooted in? You know, the theory of moral sentiment, you know, Adam Smith wrote that before he wrote the wealth of nations, you know, the, 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 which informed the whole notion of the invisible hands. 
So where does that come into play and how does that actually get leveraged if you're doing it in the way it was intended, which capitalism uh, as it's usually done today uh, has gotten away from that in a lot of ways. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's got a lot of promise. It isn't being realized right now, which is I think the power of conscious capitalism and compassionate capitalism combined. It, it, it's, it's interesting because we've seen the power of what micro loans will do in these in third world countries and what that's done yeah. for the, those, you, yeah. those communities. So, yeah. so my thoughts always been, okay, if we've seen what a micro loan will do for a third world country, what do we believe would actually happen if we were able to open the eyes of lower economic communities in our, our own country? Because some you you don't know what you don't know, and that's just just a fact. As a matter of fact, when I first spoke at, at Conscious Capitalism, I, I opened up and and I said, okay, there are 250 plus CEOs in the room, and I said, how many people in here know how to perform brain surgery? Any neurosurgeons in the room? Of course, no one raised their hand. And I said, okay, how many people in here can launch a rocket? Any aerospace engineers in, in, in here? No one raised their hand. I said, see, we don't know what we don't know. Unfortunately, in the lower economic communities, there's just a lot of shit we don't know. And, and yeah. we just need to educate those uh, individuals on the power of capitalism. Yeah, yeah, that's the power of awareness. And, and that's one of the things around conscious capitalism is it brings awareness to the conversation. It's not that, yeah, yeah, you and I both know how to make money. Uh, other people don't know how to make money. And it's not a function of skill. It's a function of awareness. If, if you show me how, if I become aware of how to make money, then that changes the nature of the game. If, I'm, it if I become the whole aware, game. it changes the whole game. Yeah. So, yeah, all of this is rooted in you know, awareness. Awareness for me is, is, is the superpower. Yeah, an increase in awareness increases the choice-making capacity of anybody that is in, you know, in the midst of increasing awareness. Um, so I love that about conscious capitalism and then awareness about, okay, how do I behave? I mean, the stakeholder ripple, I mean, everything is touched by business. Yeah, am I aware of the fifth degree, sixth degree consequence of my decision? If I'm not aware of it, I can't, I can't mitigate the, uh, yeah, perhaps downwind consequence uh, of what's going on out there. Yeah, now it's. I, I personally believe this. You know, business makes the world go round. Uh, not not politics, not government. Business makes the world go round. And I, again, I am just a massive fan of capitalism. Capitalism has given me the life that that I have. I, I grew up with nothing and. I, I understood early on through the power of, of hard work and staying legal, you, you can truly cha change the, your, your environment. And that, that was critical. And, and like I said, it's, it's just sad. Even, even the boys that I, I mentor, you know, they, they don't know how to shake hands. And it's sad, the things that we teach in school. So someone asked me this. You got, you got to let me tell the story, Blaine. Uh, the yeah. other day, the other day, someone asked me, I said, okay, if, if you could change anything about the educational system, what would it be? And I said, I would implement, implement a class your freshman year and the class would be called show and tell. And I said, not like for my seven-year-old where she brings her favorite toy and she tells you about it. No, show and tell. 
Show me how to shake hands. Tell me why it's important. Show me attention to detail. Tell me why it's important. Show me promptness and being on time, why it's important. And more importantly, show me a pharmaceutical rep. Tell me how I can be one. Show me an attorney. Tell me how I can be one. Show me an entrepreneur. Tell me how I can be one. You're teaching me about uh, you know, something in history that Yes, great to know your history, but at the same time, when I leave high school, it's not going to serve me. And, and many people don't like this. I'm not putting my nose up at it, but I have never seen calculus on a deposit slip. And, and so my, my, my whole point being is there are certain, we know, here's my last rant on this. We know 40% of all graduating high school students will never go to college. That's a, a statistical fact. And it does not matter where you fall on the economic ladder. 40% of all high school graduating students will never go to college. But we have the audacity as a society that we say, okay, you graduated from high school. Now go be a productive member of society. And oh, by the way, we know we didn't tell you how to shake a hand, what high interest loans are, what payday loans are, how, what deposit slips are, compound interest. But you know what? Go make it happen. That's a travesty in, in a country that has thrived in business and, and we all, like you said, know how to make money. We have a responsibility to give back and teach others. Absolutely. I love that. And you know, you've got the Startup Ed uh, Foundation that we haven't talked about, and I don't want to give short shrift to it. So I'm going to uh, tender an invitation to have you come back and talk about that. Nice. Nice. Excellent. I appreciate it. Good, because I think that that, that particular piece, uh, yeah, the work you're doing there is just phenomenal. Where can people find out about Startup Ed Foundation as well as, you know, you know I don't want stalkers out there you know, pinging you all day long, but how can <laughs> find out more about what you're up to? Easiest place to find me is, is LinkedIn. I do my best to post there pretty consistently and, and I share uh, mistakes that I've made throughout my career, some successes, things that I would do different. I, I find it interesting. We live, we live in a world where we say uh, we learn the most from our mistakes. But what I find interesting is no one shares their mistakes. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I can go to any blog post, LinkedIn, wherever, and I see all of these lists that says uh, top five things Jeff Bezos did to be successful, top 10 things Elon Musk did. I don't want the success list. Give me the top 10 mistake list that they went through. No one shares their mistakes. So I, I do my best to share mistakes that, that I've made, things that I would have done different. But uh, LinkedIn is where you can find me or, or scribemedia.com. And then for the Start It Up Foundation, exactly that, startedup.com. And it goes into all the details of, of what the foundation does as well. Perfect. My guest today, Javon McCormick. Javon, I want to thank you so much. I, I, I knew that this was going to be a great you know, knock it out of the park interview, and I am not disappointed in any way, shape, or form. I look forward to having you back on the show. Blaine, I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. You bet, my friend. You take care.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.